This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, back to this is episode number 121 of Social Pros. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, your host, joined as always by Jeffrey K. Roars, Esquire, a recovering attorney, now employed by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, and Nick Cicero from Xbeyond. Nick, how are you today? I am doing wonderful. I'm actually sitting in Xbeyond's new offices in the top floor of the building. So an, an awesome view of the Empire State Building today. Very cool. I didn't realize that that was happening. How did I? How did I not get that memo? Congratulations. That's uh, that's great. How many people do you have in the New York office yeah. now? So we have, I think, about six people in the New York office, and cool. we should have a lot more by the summertime. But that's great. Down in Raleigh. Yeah, I imagine I'll be out there next month. I'll make sure to come by and say hi. And Mr. Roars, uh, Mr. Roars, are you uh, at home in uh, Ohio today, or are you out on the road? I'm actually in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today. Oh, in Indianapolis. Well, I will uh, I will be in downtown Indianapolis this evening, uh, coming in for a speech tomorrow. Uh, I will be at the JW Marriott, just steps away from your location. So if you want to have uh, a drink tonight, you just let me know. We'll make that happen. Text away, young man. We will do. We'll do. Uh, I, unfortunately, I am not able to have uh, a, a cocktail this evening with our guest on the show. Maybe Nick is because he is in New York City today. Usually he's around the world, but today at home, it is the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Peter Shankman. Peter, how are you? And thank you for being on Social Pros. I was so so awesome until that incredible buildup of an intro. Because now what am I? Now what do I have? I have nothing. <laughs> That's it. The show is over. Thank you for joining That's us. It. You you peaked in the very beginning. You <laughs> uh, are involved in lots of different things, which I uh, I find fascinating. Uh, you have been in public relations for almost your entire career. Uh, many people know you from founding Hero, Help a Reporter Out, which was sold to Vocus, and now uh, you are doing all kinds of speaking and consulting and book writing and advising in a new series of masterminds, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I always find that perhaps the most interesting element of the Peter Shankman uh, world is your focus on customer experience and customer service, and that being sort of the linchpin of success. Uh, most people don't talk about that because I think it's maybe they believe it's unsexy, but I think it's critical. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit and sort of why you feel that that the sort of customer service part of this is uh, is so important? It, it's, it's actually a very simple premise. The concept is, is that, you know, I can order from, I'm, I'm sitting here in New York and I'm on the west side of Manhattan right now. And I can, let's say I need paper towels because this morning I was informed by my wife that I needed paper towels. I, I wasn't aware of this. Um, I can go to local bodega down the street, uh, right literally outside my door and get paper towels. Or I can drive to BJ's Wholesale Club because I actually keep a car in the city. Or I can, uh, Go on to Amazon or paper towels or uh, go on to Target or go on to Google Shopping Express. Whatever I want, there are about 40 different ways just off the top of my head that I can get paper towels. Um, last month, I ordered diapers via Google Express. Google Shopping Express just launched and they invited me to try it. And I ordered uh, one box of size, I think it was size six, or size three, something, size six diapers. And they sent me six boxes of size one diapers. And they they were they received it like Saturday at like four p.m. and I freaked out. I'm like, okay, Google's huge and big, and they're never going to respond. And now I'm stuck with six boxes of size. Well, I'm, am I going to have to suck this up? It's two hundred fifty dollars. There's nothing I can do with this. Maybe I can sell them to someone in my building. Um, and the only email I had was you know customer returns at googleshopping.com. I sent them an email, and five minutes later there was a personal response in my box saying that night, everything would be taken care of. Don't worry about it. It's already off my bill. And I will never use anything but Google Shopping Express now. Because they had, they, 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 not only did they meet my expectations, they exceeded them beyond words. Because when we expect on a regular basis to be treated like crap in a customer service environment, to treat me 
not only just one level one level above crap, but really well, was mind blowing. And so I will I you know went online this morning, added paper towels to my next Google Express order. It, it, it's it's that simple. You know, we can buy from anywhere. Prices are relatively the same. You got to get me on experience. It's interesting, especially from a company like Google, which is not necess- not really known to be uh, the warm, fuzzy, customer service-oriented organization uh, that that happened. Do you think it's because that is a, um, a a new introduction that Google Shopping Express is a new product for them and or because you're Peter Shankman, or do you think it's just sort of that's the way they're going to play the game? You know what? I think they're really focusing on removing that stigma of, oh, they're huge and they're going to they're gonna take over the world and you'll never be able to get anyone on the phone. Um, when my Google, when I when I stepped on my Google glasses, um, because you know, like everyone does, and um, I called them and I said, "Hey guys, uh, you know, is there any way I can I can get these fixed, or whatever?" So, well, tell us what happened. I said, "Well, uh, I did step on them, and I said, you know, so I'm accepting responsibility for that, but also, um, the little foil on the screen has started to wear off." They go, "Oh, you know what? That's a known problem. Bring them in. We're going to give you a brand new pair, a brand new pair." I said, even because I stepped on them, they go, yeah, the foil, foil coming off is something we want to change. We want to fix that house. 10.30 Saturday, come to our offices in Midtown. And again, just just blown away. I show up. Two seconds later, I get a brand new pair. And this is from Google. You know, and I, I said several years ago that we want to be, we want our cell phones to be on the best networks in the world. But when we have a problem, we want them to be fixed by Joe. You know, and, and Google is really, really showing uh, how that's done. And again, I'm, I'm as shocked as you are to be on the show talking about great customer service with Google, but that's two for two. Yeah, no doubt. You, you mentioned something very interesting that it is dramatically exceeding your expectations. Some people would argue, yeah. and they would be wrong, but some people would argue that the experiences that you had should be table stakes, that that should be the way customer service is handled. And maybe at one point, that was how customer service was handled universally or, or at a higher percentage than it is today. Do you think that, that the reason this works is that we've all come to expect that customer service will be terrible uh, and that maybe if everybody gets their act together, it will change the nature of our expectations? That's what I've been trying to do. When you, look, think back to your last airline flight, okay? You walk on, you're in seat 8D. You get an anal probe by the TSA before you even get to the gate. You get to the gate, and the plane is three hours delayed. Then they change the plane, and all of a sudden, 8D becomes 34 bathroom. You get on the plane, there's no food that's freezing cold. There's no Wi-Fi, the direct TV doesn't work. And there are people going in and out of the bathroom, bumping your knee for three hours, bumping your arm for three hours. The person in front of you puts the seat back. <clears throat> breaks your leg in the process, you get to where you're going, three hours late, you are miserable, and all you want to do is take a gun to your head. You pull out your cell phone and you call everyone you know, I'm never flying this airline again, this is the worst flight ever, this sucks, I'm tweeting about this, blah, blah, blah. But, if they smile at you, if all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you get an upgrade, if even if you got none of that and it just happened the way it was supposed to happen, you're on time, you're in 8D, you get there on time, you're happy. If they go above and beyond, you get an upgrade, you get a free drink, you will tell the world. We've moved into a world where it is no longer about, I'm awesome. And the joke I always give at speech is if I walk into a bar and I see a hot girl and they're like, you don't know me, but I'm amazing in bed. She's going to throw a drink at me and go right back to talking to her friend. And before I got married, I did a lot of research on this. That's exactly what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but um, if you flip that and... If I'm sitting in the bar and the girl is there with her best friend and she says, oh, my God, that's Peter Shankman. I've heard amazing things. At the very least, I'm getting the girl's number. So all if we expect crap, all we need is one level above crap to be thrilled, five levels above crap to tell the world. And we're moving into a place where it is all about telling the world. It's no longer about people saying how awesome they are. It's about experiential things that happen in the world where people say, you know what? I had an amazing experience. I'm going to go out of my way to tell the world how awesome this is. I, it's a, to completely go against, that's probably a great time for a plug. I actually have another book coming out next year called Zombie Loyalists. And the premise of the book is exactly that, how to use customer service to create amazing experiences because that, in the future, is the only thing that's going to sell. What's the biggest mistake that companies make when when trying to do customer service 
in real time in social media, which of course is a topic that we discuss all the time on this show. Uh, where do they usually fall down? Is it just not caring about the customer or is there some sort of more tactical or operational shortcoming that you see more often? It's a few specific things that, that, that cause companies to fail when it comes to customer service. The first one by far and away is not empowering the person on the other end to do something. You know, when I have a problem and I'm stuck in Jakarta without the rental car that I was promised or without my driver or, or without a hotel room, you know, and I tweet, uh, hey, guys, kind of screwed here. Please help me out. I don't want to get, thank you, please send us your, please DM and follow us, then DM us your confirmation number and we'll look into it. I don't want that. You know what I want? Dude, that sucks. Hang on tight. We'll fix it in five minutes. You know, if, if information is real time, I want real time response. Not empowering your, your employees to do that is the biggest failure in the world because why are you bothering? Why have a Twitter account? Why have a Facebook account? Why have customer service? If when I call, I'm not going to get any resolution to an immediate problem. Don't tell me you're sorry. Don't read from a script. Tell me that you're going to fix my problem. And my wonderful example um, that I love talking about now, um, about six weeks ago, I was giving a speech in Phoenix. I landed. I went to get my rental car from Hertz. My name was not on the board. Okay, that happens. I get out to the gold desk. I'm like, there are 30, 40 people in front of me. Uh, one person working the gate. They take... 40 minutes later, they're like, you know, if you go back upstairs to the main, get, main desk, maybe you'll have better success. I go up there. I wait another 30 minutes. person comes to me and says, you know, uh, I'm, finally, uh, he comes up. He says, next. I go up to the gate. He says, can I help you? But yeah, I'm a gold member. Oh, you're going to have to go downstairs. Well, you just told me. I could come. They said, I could, no, no, no. You have to go. And then he nexted me, like looked away and said next to the person behind me. Um, you know, never, never next a person who has a cell phone and the ability to create a meme in real time. Um, so I walked across the hall in Phoenix. All the air, all the car rental places are at the same place. I walked across the hall 30 feet, you know, from the nightmare that was 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 Hertz to the um, amazing Zen Garden of Tranquility that was Avis. And within six minutes, Avis, without a reservation, had me in a better car, cheaper price, and they had me laughing. The blog post I wrote was epic. I talked all about, you know, and, and so what happens? Of course, I send out this tweet in Hertz. Uh, half an hour later, hi, you know, sorry to hear you have a problem. Why don't you DM us? We can look into it. Screw you, Hertz. I'm already in my Avis car on my way to my hotel because they were real time. Yeah. And, you know, they followed up. Well, you know, we don't want to hear about that. You know, we'd love to be able to fix your problem. I'm like, it was too late. You had four people at the Hertz rental car location there in my face, who all of whom could have fixed it, none of whom were empowered to. And then, yet Avis was, and you think I'm going to waste my time as I'm driving to my hotel now to find my... No, screw it. I'm just going to cancel my reservation. And P.S., I'm, I'm now loyal to Avis forever. We talk a lot on this show about social sort of being pulled in two directions. And certainly Nick um, experiences this a lot with XBN and uh, Jeff at, at Exact Target Marketing Cloud sees this with their clients as well. That on one hand, you have social being used for customer support uh, and the kind of circumstances that you've been talking about, people tweeting you saying, hey, we're sorry, or you tweeting them saying, hey, fix this. And then you have the same channels being used for marketing, for proactive messaging, buy diapers from us, um, look how fantastic right. our company is, get get our ebook, whatever. Um, I, it is very difficult, I think, for companies to do both sides of that well. Uh, so I, I ask you, should... Should social media and the social media presence uh, for a company be be managed by marketing or by customer service? Uh, and, and how do you sort of balance those two directives? You can mark, well, okay, it goes to a bigger picture. My belief, and I've said this publicly before, my belief is that the concept of friending, following, fanning, liking, and all that crap is going to go away within the next 24 to 36 months. It's going to be replaced by the concept of sort of uh, top of mind. What does that mean? Well, if I use your company once and I have a great experience or you help me out with something, I'm going to use it again, you know, you'll have permission to market to me automatically. I don't have to like your restaurant. If I go to your restaurant once a week or five times a week, I like you already. You don't, I don't need to first like a page I'm going to bring back and visit again to have you market to me. You'll be more likely to market to me. I'll be more likely to receive your marketing because I've used you in the past. Screw up, you'll disappear from my list really fast. That's all going to be automatic. It's going to be GPS-based and I don't know who's going to win, if it's going to be Facebook or Google. I'm hoping it's both and call themselves for Google. But the bigger picture of that is that if I am using social to correct mistakes in real time, then 
and I'm correcting the mistakes, or even if I'm just reaching out to people to say hello and not trying to sell them anything, that their enjoyment of my services, they're liking, the, the, if they like my restaurant, if they come to visit me a lot, if they use my airline, whatever, that gives me, by default, the right to market to them on occasion. It's a sliding scale. You know, if United started sending me messages every day saying that they wanted me to, I, I, you know, wanted me to shop with them, I'd, I'd hate them. But because I have good experiences, they are allowed to market to me, and it's 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 very basic. So, you know, to to get back to your question, if you're looking at the concept of using social for both selling and uh, fixing or marketing, as it were, if you focus on the help first, on fixing things that are broken and making experiences amazing first, and let your audience do the promotion on social um, on your behalf because they've had an amazing experience and want to share that you will be much more likely to be allowed to market to that audience. You know, let's face it, the social web runs on bragging and drama. Bragging when you have an amazing experience, drama when you don't. So if, if, if you are filled with bragging about a certain company, about your experience with a certain company, then that company by default will be allowed to market to you. You know, the companies that I like the best, I have no problem when they send me emails because they respect my time. They send me emails about things that I like. And they know that they can market to me because I've had good experience in the past. Um, when I've had bad experiences, uh, there's nothing that gets me to unlike them and unsubscribe quicker. I had a horrible experience with uh, Infinity several years ago. And uh, the next, very next email I got with them two days later, you know, it was obviously a massive disconnect. And other people in one division talked to another. And boom, they're out of my life. So it's, it's really, you know, it has to start from top down. The companies have to talk to each other and the employees have to be empowered to make Peter, this is uh, Jeff. Um, one, one crack I see in that is the whole um, assumptive logic that, that you have the right to market to somebody. Um, there's obviously legal reasons that you've got to acquire permission. Right. And we've learned through email marketing and spam that if it's a free-for-all with marketing marketers deciding who they're going to communicate with, they'll communicate with everybody. Right, and that needs to be fixed. Size instead of quality. But, but when you say that's going to be fixed, isn't permission the way to fix that? Isn't having some sort of overt entry or overt invitation by the consumer to communicate through a channel the way to do that and to but honor that as opposed to make assumptions? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I apologize if, if, if you didn't, if I, if I wasn't clear. You're not making assumptions. If I go to your restaurant five times a day, I've done something to give you permission to market to me. You know, maybe I've checked a box uh, when I pay my bill. Maybe you've asked me in person. For God's sake, if I have the same waiter every day, ask me. You know, but no, it's not about it's not about the assumptive nature of it. It's about the concept that if I'm at your restaurant, okay, I obviously want to know what specials you have. And you have to ask me. I've always had number two. The key, the key to, to customer retention, acquisition, and happiness is, is relevance. Be relevant to the audience and ask them how they like to get their information. Once you start to see trends where the same audience is coming to you over and over again, ask them how they like to get their information and give it to them the way they want. And they'll never leave you. Having yeah, an audience, I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Having an audience is a privilege. It's not a right. It's exactly like wearing spandex. And so if I start to abuse that privilege, they'll go away. Yeah, and that's the piece I wanted to clarify. So we're on the same page. <clears throat> oh, definitely. What you're saying is, look, if you've got that, that repeat customer and you're not making that overt ask, if you're not getting them into one of those channels, shame on you uh, because you're, you're, you're not opening uh, that conversation and that, that loyalty piece, correct? Yep. So I want to I switch gears because I, I was fascinated with the ripple effect of a post of yours uh, in, in the last month about why you left Foursquare hmm. and the conversations that, that started in, in certain circles and it's something that I've had conversations with people about and on, on this podcast we don't really delve into Foursquare an awful lot. So can you bring the listeners up on your big decision there and uh, let's, see, let's see what kind of dust we stir up with that. I was a huge, huge, huge proponent of Foursquare. I was a Foursquare addict from the second they started back in South by Southwest. I loved them, and I was—I became quickly became a super user. I was one of the first people to always uh, update patients. I had countless mayorships. I even went when I made the switch from BlackBerry to Android. One of the key reasons I switched over was because uh, BlackBerry didn't work overseas with Foursquare, and Android did, um, and that was sort of my my turning point. Um, 
always been a huge fan. And then several things started happening. Number one, it became a chore. Um, not enough people were using it to make it worthwhile. Uh, I found that when I wanted to broadcast my location, uh, I would usually connect Foursquare to Twitter, which seemed like an extra step. Secondly, they had a ridiculous amount of marketing. They, they had more marketing data on me than any other service I used, maybe sans Facebook. They knew what restaurants I went into and what times. They knew how many times I went there. They knew my flight patterns. They knew where I liked to travel. They knew what I did when I landed at the airport. They knew everything about me. You know how many times they actually tried to do anything with that, which I would have welcomed? Zero. And I, I put this in the book. Clout had, more, had, a better, has, has done better in using my data to connect me with things that matter to me. That's, you know, like saying Stevie Wonder's, you know, a, a, a better race car driver than, uh, than Mario Andretti. It, it was crazy crazy situation. They had all this ability to do this and they did nothing. Um, like I said, it became a chore. And then finally, on a personal note, as a runner, as someone who's done countless marathons and, and really respects the process that people have to train and they have to get in, there are certain races you won't get into because you're not fast enough or you're not good enough or for whatever reason, uh, the fact that their CEO, uh, Dennis Crowley, um, faked a number to get into the Boston Marathon so he could run with his wife, that really pissed me off and that was, that was the end straw. So I quit. And I thought I'd miss it, and I missed it for about six hours when I didn't know what to do when I walked into a restaurant. And then it was immediately liberating. Um, and now when I fly, instead of checking in and trying to get the mayorship of a local uh, United Club at Newark Airport or whatever, I'll simply tweet out, hey, guys, I'm in the United Club in Terminal C for the next three hours. If anyone wants to be my guest, just let me know and show up. And it's, it's surprisingly liberating. I think that they really had a shot to create something amazing. And they blew it. They did nothing with it. The only thing they ever even tried to do with me was, you know, we'll preload your Amex card and you'll save it, and it never worked. So I was, I was bummed. You know, it was, um, you know, his first inclination, Dodgeball, I think, uh, failed like that too. Google bought it and shut it down. Um, there were a lot of things that could have happened so much better. And for me, you know, I don't need to, to I don't need to be a mayor of some place to know that I enjoy it. Um, sure. And I think also one of the key problems is that restaurants, uh, bars, things like that, although you would see the occasional signs of adoption mass, mass-wise, it just didn't happen. You know, I can't tell you how many restaurants, bars I was mayor of, I was there all the time. You, one person couldn't have looked one time and said, oh shit, he's the mayor, let's buy him a drink. You know, or let's even just give him a free hot wing, or let's just acknowledge him. Well, but it, it just it, never, it, seemed, it never seemed to take off. Wasn't it also interesting that they, they ran into the mayor problem, right? Because if you had entrenched regulars, how is somebody that is new to the space able to get any benefit from that, exactly. that gamification, right? And not only that, but I mean, I'd go to restaurants, I'd go to locations where the person who was the mayor was the person who worked there. I'm like, how does that benefit anyone? <laughs> right. So a, a quick follow-up question to this. Um, this weekend, Patton Oswalt, the comedian, announced that he is taking a summer break from social media. He has been prolific on, on Twitter and Facebook, a lot of one-liners as well as back and forth. Uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, political and, and comedic commentary uh, for many years. And he, he has announced that he wants to take this time off uh, almost to kind of decompress and, and exercise muscles he hasn't exercised in a while. I'm wondering if your exit from Foursquare has had you rethinking your level of engagement or usage of any of the other social channels. I'll tell you this. So yesterday, I'm, I'm training for an Ironman. I'm doing one this August. And yesterday, I did a 103-mile bike ride from my apartment in Manhattan to West Point Military Academy upstate and back. And um, it was just complete and utter hell. But, um, you know, when I got to West Point, my first thought was, I, it occurred to me, oh, I should check in. Oh, wait, I'm not using Foursquare anymore. So you know what? I just took a photo of myself in front of the gate, and I tweeted it. And here's the key about that. Um, Foursquare in my opinion, has become the lazy, lazy man's way of generating content. You know, checked in, checked in, checked in. If I'm going to, if you're going to have the, if, if, if you grant me the privilege of following you, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm obviously still very tired of my ride. If you grant me the privilege of following me, right, reading my tweets on Facebook, reading my blog, it's, up to me to provide you better content than just something that says, checked in. Show me a photo. Show me a couple of sentences. Give me a quick video, something. And so when I got to West Point yesterday, I took a couple of quick photos, uh, put them in a, you know, uploaded them, um, uh, 
when I got back to GW Bridge, I took a photo of the city. I said, almost home, not dead yet. You know, it became more of an interactive um, sense of fulfillment for my audience as opposed to checked in, checked in again. And I think that, that it was very easy for a lot of sort of these people who are very big on social to say, oh, yeah, I'm totally engaged because I'm on uh, Foursquare. I check in everywhere I go. Who gives a shit? Do I need to know that you went to the bodega? I like to be mayor of the bodega. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> How good is the bodega? To, yeah, yeah, that's just me, though. It's a pretty damn good bodega, it's but a still. Great bodega. I've left tips in my local bodega to let people know this is the bodega that has the good <laughs> deli food. You know what I mean? Any bodega, you never know, but some places have those gems, especially here in New York. Um, no, before, you know, I, I don't want to, de you know, to turn the conversation too much, but I think that, you know, one of the things that we wanted to come back to you a little bit with when you're talking about social customer service is that you have a little bit more, you know, we're starting to, not, I'm going to say starting, we've, we've seen these quite often between um, the difference between, like, employee social activation or dedicated kind of at this company helps such and such Twitter accounts. And so um, I think that we've all probably helped some customers at some point who came down this path of do our employees reach out and help or do we have a dedicated account? And so while we're still on the topic loosely of customer service, I'd love to just turn back and, and get your thoughts on that, Peter. I Unfortunately, I, I apologize you completely. I lost about half of what you said there. Uh, I just It just went out completely. That's okay. Sorry about that. So you yeah, asked my thoughts on something. Just tell me what it was. Yeah. So how, how what do you think about employees employees reaching out as customer service or help on social as opposed to say like a Comcast Cares or a Time Warner Cares, <clears throat> somebody who has kind of just a help dedicated account? I think that if employees, if you can trust your employees, you know, first of all, if you can't trust your employees to be on social under your name, you don't have a social problem. You have an employee problem. So yes, if employees can reach out, there is absolutely no reason for that not to work. If they feel like talking, if they want to share, it's like, hey, I had, dude, I had that problem last month. Here's how I fixed it. By all means, why the hell not? That would thrill me. You know, if I was having an issue and I tweeted that someone else uh, replied, whether through the corporate account or not, I'd be, I'd be happy as hell. But again, I think it comes down to the fact that that Great. companies have to companies have to empower and train their employees to just basically understand the basics. You know, and and 99.9 percent .9 of that is the DBS rule. Don't be stupid. Yeah, that makes sense. So now I know that you know you as well as I are, are a fan of space, and so I, I would love to maybe get your story. And I know that you you've told this story to me once before, but you know how you kind of went from an advocate of the space program to actually being an advisor. Uh, and I know that you 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 and I both kind of shared NASA tweet up experiences. Um, but yeah, I was so excited to hear you talk about that. How you've actually been able to grow and does that? Yeah, by all means. And, and you know, it's funny, Nick. I'm looking at your photo of of the view that you have. You can actually see my apartment. Uh, I, I face, uh, you're, you're a little, um, looks like south of me, but I am just west of the New York Times building, so I, you can see my apartment from here. But uh, NASA All right, waving. is a great story. I was never smart enough to be a NASA astronaut. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who's not brilliant, but um, I am in love with space. I'm in love with the concept of, of, of going out of space. I believe that, you know, uh, it's the great line from Contact, if, if the whole world is out there and we're the only ones that are alive and capable of talking about it, it is an incredible waste of space. Um, I've seen every, you know, when I was 14 years old, Space Camp came out, and that was it. I fell in love with Leia Thompson, and I wanted to go into space with her. I still do, actually. Leia, if you're listening to this podcast, I would, I would love to either go into space with you or just have a drink. Um, especially because, you know, you're also Marty McFly's mom at Back to the Future. But bigger picture, I was running Harrow at the time, and I made everything personal. I still do that to this day. Anything I do, I make personal. Um, and I was talking about my cats. <laughs> I have a cat on... Uh, one of my two cats at the time was named, still is, named NASA. And I mentioned him. Someone on the Harrow list said, you know, my husband's an astronaut. We should get you down here to, to, to look around. I'm like, oh, my God, heartbeat, immediately. Let's do it. And made it happen. We went down. I flew in the simulator and did all these incredible things and awesome. And uh, I wrote about my experience. And the person whose husband was the, the astronaut forwarded my write-up to Miles O'Brien, who at the time was leading the uh, NASA's Civilian Advisory Council, he reached out to me. He said, hey, you seem really passionate about this. We could use someone to help with uh, NASA's marketing. Would that be something you'd be interested in? I said, you know, think about that for never mind. I guess I'd love to. Um, 
remember we went to the first meeting, and the guy to the left of me was the head of space exploration, uh, space exploration group for Stanford University. The guy to the right of me had been on six shuttle missions as commander, and um, they said, and how about you, Peter? I said, well, I, I, I have a cat named NASA. You know, it's like one of these things is not like the other, but it, it's just an amazing experience. Four years of, of just, um, you know, going to the most incredible launches and, and really coming up with some great ways to help help grow NASA's brand because, let's face it, for every uh, 500 resumes that Google gets, NASA gets one, you know. Uh, so the con I'm actually a huge fan of the concept of privatization because I believe that that anything that helps us grow and, and sort of push past our limits as a, as, a, as a society is beneficial for our society. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see what's going on uh, with um, with what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX and all that. And I'm, I'm really, I have hope for the future, I really do. I want to see yeah, you in space. I'm seeing a job opening a few years back when SpaceX was just coming in. Yeah. First Guys, I would go tomorrow. Jobs. We need to record this podcast in space. We can make that happen. <laughs> I am I am proud to say that there is a uh, a helper reporter sticker did go uh, to about sixty eight thousand feet, and that my book uh, or that or that my name has actually been on the shuttle because my name was on a was was a um, a cover review of a book that was on a shuttle mission. So my name has been in space. I love it. That counts. It totally counts. Um, speaking of of your advisory career um, and your advice of of obviously the space program, but you you've now started uh, relatively recently this new program called Shank Minds, which is a series of masterminds where people can get together with you and your compadres uh, for a day or so and really dig deep in their own business and and take uh, what they're doing in their lives to the next level. Can you talk a little bit about the Shank Minds program and how it's working and how people can get involved? I think it's really really fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, I went to an event in. Um in Bangkok with a group that I belong to where uh, every year they have a conference in Bangkok and, and I went a day early and they had a uh, they had a mastermind and I spent a day with six people all who are entrepreneurs all of whom are in the same boat as me and I'm sitting there and in five seconds I'm like oh my god I'm not alone these people have the same problems as me we can get through this and so I came back and said I have to start this in New York. and so um, I created a mastermind in New York I thought maybe I could get 10 people we sold out to 40 uh, we've done it in like 15 different cities. Uh, most sell out, some don't, most do. Um, we've had tremendous results. Uh, people people have, ta have have emailed me about, um, you know, basically we sit there all day and we talk about everyone gets three minutes in the hot seat to describe their business and then the tables get 21 minutes to sort of take that business apart and rebuild it. You know, and, and what we find happening is we get people who, we put people at the same table who don't work in the same industries and the way they see the businesses is massive. You might have looked at a problem for three months without any solution and within three seconds the person next to you says, oh, what, why didn't you try this? And, you know, and you're sitting there dumbfounded, you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. So very successful. Uh, we're doing Houston next week, so if anyone would love to join, uh, shankminds.com slash Houston. It's going to be a tremendous event. And we're doing them uh, pretty much all over the country. We have... Um, uh, we're taking a break for the summer, but then come the fall, we have a bunch of East Coast, West Coast, London, hopefully Israel. Uh, I'd love to get over to Tokyo and do one. So really good stuff. And um, you can find more about that at shankminds.com. Fantastic. We will make sure to link that up in the show notes as well. We'll be back with more from Peter Shankman uh, when we get to the big two questions at the end of the show. First, we're going to get into the social media stat of the week and the holy social. Pete, feel free to jump in on these as we get there. First, I want to remind everybody that this podcast, Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media, is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target Marketing Cloud a salesforce.com company. Uh, our friends at Exact Target have a terrific new piece of content as they do almost every single week. And it is, as always, free. You can get this one at bit.ly slash succeed engage. That's bit.ly slash succeed engage. What is it, you ask? It is the 20 ways to succeed at social media engagement. Number one, do not anger Peter Shankman. That is actually not in the book, ah. but it should. It's going to be 21 ways to succeed at social media engagement. Uh, so the question is, if you are engaging with customers on social, and I suspect if you're listening to the show, the answer is, yes, I am. How do you know if that strategy is successful? This free report will teach you ways to immediately increase engagement with tips, tricks, and special ideas that the folks at Exact Target are working 
with big brands all around the world on. Download that bit.ly slash succeed engage. Also want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the good people at XBion, which has a centralized platform that empowers global brands, agencies, and retailers to manage their social marketing efforts. If you have a complex social media engagement challenge, uh, XBion software platform would be a fantastic choice. And Nick can show you around at your convenience. XBion also has some really interesting content that they put together called the Fave 50 Social Retail Report, which analyzed the Facebook presence of 16,000 different posts across 50 different e-commerce uh, retailers and found best practices uh, in terms of what they're doing uh, on uh, on Facebook. And these ideas are really, really useful, even if you're not in retail. You can grab this uh, for free. It's pretty fantastic research to be given away, but you can grab it for free at bit.ly slash retail data report. bit.ly slash retail data report. Okay, Jeff, uh, we will go back to you and see what is the social media number of the week. All right. So the number this week is 27%. 27%. And 27%. And that's the percentage of folks who can't stand the new promoted pins on Pinterest. And uh, that actually pales compared to those who don't mind them, 31%, and those users who are actually neutral to the paid ads on Pinterest at 42%. This comes from a new research report from Ahology, A-A-A-H-A-L-O-G-Y. We'll link it in the show notes. And it's also interesting in that those numbers, Jay, remind me very much of uh, the similar numbers probably, what was it, four or five years ago when the first surveys came out about ads in Facebook uh, and probably are similar to any surveys about ads in Twitter. You usually see a kind of a third, a third, a third split with a little yep. bit of weighting towards folks who are neutral on the ad. Which uh, makes it pretty so, difficult to figure out what you're going to do, right? When every, when every report is a third, a third, a third, it makes it a little tough. Well, that's, that's why this research is interesting because um, in the e-marketer coverage of the report, they break out what that 27% of folks who say they can't stand the ads actually mean. And 20% actually would prefer not to see ads. And you're pretty much going to have that kind of percentage across you know, any medium. Um, then if you, if you take further, 18% of them say that they seem out of place or don't fit with Pinterest. So that really is a format and creative challenge. For and, that, and, and that kind of surprises me, really, because to me, all of Pinterest feels like an ad at some level. I mean, exactly. right? I mean, exactly. just fundamentally. Well, and, that, and that's, Absolutely. You know, this is where you get the research bias, right? Because if you're going to ask the question, there are going to be people who, uh, you know, complain, even though they're probably clicking on ads quite happily and they don't, they don't necessarily realize it because it's so relevant to them. And that's actually the third reason that people said they couldn't stand ads at 16%, they're often not relevant. So this gets to Peter, your point about relevance again, you know, whether it's in a paid or in an organic kind of fashion, relevance is going to be key to having that positive consumer experience. Now, yeah, I don't know, Peter, if you wanted to chime in on that. Well, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think, but you know, what's interesting is that everyone also freaked out when Tumblr um, started running ads too, and, and we don't even, mind them anymore. I mean, I don't, I don't, right. I don't think any of those. So, I mean, you're always going to get that, you know, crap. I remember working in America online and, uh, uh, you know, everyone thought the internet was doomed because, um, all the AOLers were shouting me too. So, you know, we, we adapt, we learn to adapt very easily. Now here's one last stat from research. Um, the current demographic profile of us Pinterest users as of March, 2014 79% female, 21% male. So yeah. still skewing incredibly female, even as it matures. But I tell you what, that's 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 fine. I mean, you can certainly build a huge business oh. off of that, and they continue to do so. And it's driving an unbelievable amount of e-commerce revenue for a, a lot of companies. I am very, very bullish on Pinterest uh, going forward, and and uh, I can't wait for them to go public because I will be first in line. Of all the people who have gone public, uh, the one that I'm the most bullish on is probably Pinterest. Interesting. You know, I, I have a, a friend of mine who is one of the friend of mine was one of the initial backers of them, and and. Uh, you know, he's he's he gave a speech yesterday, and he said, uh, or a couple months ago, and he said, "Don't." Uh, Pinterest had a meteoric rise, and they sort of peaked, 
um, and now people are waiting. And it, it's really interesting to see. He said it's really interesting to see what people still think of them because unlike other companies that rise and sort of and sort of you know fall, so they're, they're they're not rising as quickly. No one can expect that, but they're not falling. And so it's going to be interesting in terms of, of if they do decide to go public, what they decide to do. But, you know, they're, they're, they're taking in VC hand over fist, and it's a lot of people are going to make a lot of money if that thing decides to go public. Yeah, no kidding. Of course, their valuation is so high now that, that um, people who are in late are not going to make as much money because they're already run up at a pretty high, uh, at a pretty high level. But, but I look at companies like that where the loyalty is extremely high. Um, and it does one or two things really well, right? It's not trying to do everything the way Facebook is trying to do everything. And I think that's actually really smart. Um, and, and they've barely even, I mean, as this, as this research from Jeff suggests, I mean, they've barely even scratched the surface on, on what they can do from a monetization perspective. So uh, I think it's, it's pretty fascinating. We'll, we'll see. We need to get them, um, we need to do a, a little more, uh, and we talked to Peg about, Pinterest quite a bit three weeks ago. We should get somebody else on the show and uh, and go a little deeper on Pinterest. We'll, we'll work on that. Nick, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving that to you, baby. I'm putting yeah, you in charge. Definitely. Uh, oh, I can definitely pull up some folks who can get Pinterest. But I'm with you. Like The other thing, like you said before, uh, Jeff, about the number of being such kind of like a disparity between men and women, um, I'm very bullish on the fact that not every social network has to cater to all um, genders equally. I think that there's something that's perfectly valuable about, you know, we're talking about customer experiences and journeys. I mean, there's something that's fundamentally different generally about, you know, female consumers as there is men. And so, you know, where that stands, I think that Pinterest should continue to kind of grow and look. I'm sure that, you know, they'll open up and find new opportunities to reach men. And I actually, just in my email the other day, got a pretty male-focused Pinterest um, notification from them that would talked about like style at work and it was all male and not female. So I mean I think that there's some things to make inroads to that, but I also don't think that it's necessarily a problem that it's skewing to be female. No, I agree. I yeah, I'm working on a short post nicely, about that. It was the first time I'd, I saw it. Yeah, they're they're nicely differentiated from all the other social networks, right, which usually ro rose up within uh, kind of male online communities and then you began to see gender uh, equality and usage as it matured. This one's going to be fascinating to watch just because, it, you know, it could be the, the, the first social network that remains principally female, um, you know, kind of focused. Yeah, all the way through. Yeah, community. forever. But to your point, Nick, they're smart enough in their email to be uh, personalizing it based on, you know, what you're actually pinning and what you're actually sharing. And so they know uh, you know, your gender and everything else. And so they're not treating you like everybody else, which is... Well, that's the part that I find really interesting is they're actually taking the time. Again, that's relevance. You know, that's what we talked about earlier. And if they keep doing that, that's going to help them tremendously. Yeah, they certainly have enough data on you to make some interesting hyper-targeted you know what? decisions. What's so funny is that is that so does so does a lot of the other sites yet. And that's that was a Foursquare issue that I had as well. They could right. have done that too. My God, the amount of pizza they could have fed me and they could have made me buy. <laughs> Good Lord, it boggles the mind. No doubt. All right, uh, Nick, I'm going to give you a second to uh, prep up Holy Social. And while you do that, I want to remind everybody that this podcast, Social Pros, is also brought to you by the good people at Cision. Cision has a terrific content marketing tip sheet called Six Tips to Help Amplify Your Content. We all know that content marketing is important, but increasingly, uh, amplifying that content is equally important. Cision will help you with their free tip sheet that you can download right now at bit.ly slash amplify Cision. That's bit.ly slash amplify Cision, all lowercase. Actually had a chance to spend some time with our friends at Cision a couple days ago in Chicago, uh, and we shot some videos for Cision's new content content conversations series. Uh, so we'll be telling you more about that in the weeks to come, doing some interviews with public relations professionals uh, all around the world as I'm traveling, grabbing people and doing interviews and talking about PR and content and software incision. So that'll be pretty cool. Thanks as always to them for their support. And the show is, of course, also brought to you and has been for a long time by our good friends at Jan Rain, the leaders in social login and social profile data collection and management. Uh, we've been telling you about this case study uh, for a couple of weeks now, and I hope you've had a chance to download it. And if you haven't, do it, because we're going to switch out this um, this creative for next week, I think. But JanRain has this remarkable example of the power of social login. They did this program with the New Zealand Herald, which, of course, is the largest newspaper in New Zealand. And they added a social login option, and they found a 500% increase in website user registrations uh, and a bunch of other remarkable lifts in uh, visitors 
visitor participation as well. It's really an eye-opening uh, example of what social login can do, not just for a media business, but for any business. So take a look at that. Grab it right now, bit.ly slash herald case study. That's bit.ly slash herald case study, all lowercase. Okay, Nick, let's hear it for holy social. Absolutely. So if you've been following uh, my holy social since I joined the podcast almost months ago, it seems like now, uh, I'm talking a lot about how to create social content around events. And, you know, one thing that I found on, on Arik Hansen's website recently was um, this idea from Arby's, and they actually ran a 13-hour-long commercial at, in one station. They also simulcast it and broadcast online. Uh, but then throughout that whole 13-hour brisket, while they were trying to basically set the Guinness World Record for the world's, world's longest TV commercial, um, they also were activating their fans as well by creating a lot of different fun events for people on social to try and win gift cards and win different prizes throughout this 13 hours. And so, you know, while it, kind of the article that I thought was interesting that Eric talked about is that a brilliant PR stunt, um, blatant PR stunt or brilliant advertising. And I think that where we've, we've kind of come to a point today where the PR stunt has to be social as well. And so that's why I think that this is kind of a good, interesting thing to think about is that not only can you just take advantage of, of events like the Grammys or the Oscars to kind of jump into that real time, you can also create your own moments as well. And so I think that it's quite an interesting play from somebody like Arby's to go ahead and create their own moment. Now granted, smoking brisket uh, for a 13-hour long commercial on TV is somewhat boring, but when you add that social component to it, there's something interesting about it. And also trying to get that Guinness World Record at the same time, they're having to create some kind of conversation. I mean, normally they could have just sat there and ran the commercial and waited for news outlets to pick it up and things like that. But here they're actually able to drive that added media attention. And so I think, you know, taking a quick look, uh, they generated somewhere about 2,500 posts with hits from like Huffington Post, Business Insider, and Gawker, um, local news stations as well. So by being able to put this out and, and transferring this one, what would technically be a PR stunt, into the social space, they're actually able to generate a lot more conversation that ordinarily may not happen about that before, or might just stop and, and just be a, a brief pass and a mention on the local TV news. So I think that this is something really interesting for, our, for marketers to think about. How do you go about creating your own events to do real-time marketing around and not just waiting for others? It's funny. I, 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 when, I, when I heard that uh, and I saw the example, I literally, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, I thought to myself, that sounds like something Shankman would have come up with. Because huh. uh, it is so right in your wheelhouse from uh, your early days when you did this for companies. Uh, what, what do you make of this? Is this a great idea or, or jump on the shark? Well, you weren't the only person to think about it, uh, to think that way. Um, Andrew and uh, Adam Newman from the New York Times called me and interviewed me about it. Um, my take was this. You know, you, you do a PR stunt. A, single, a PR stunt for the sake of a PR stunt is pointless. If you're doing a PR stunt that, that keeps things going, uh, just and I agree with you, Nick, completely, you know, the concept of, of, of uh, it's went social people. We're talking about it. You have to have a social component as well. No question about it. Um, and they did it, they did it well. You know, a 13-hour commercial to say, hey, we had a long commercial. Who cares? You know, bring me into it in other ways. So I, I track this out as a win for them, definitely. A lot of people were talking about it. Um, God, I haven't thought of Arby's in years. So the fact that they made me think Arby's again is kind of cool. I have to go have the roast beef sandwich now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm making brisket here at home all the time. I, I need to set up a camera. I was going to and... put my plug out here. I love Arby's and their horsey sauce. Horsey sauce rules, and uh, I've actually we should get Arby's on the show and talk about this and some other stuff they're doing the the Pharrell hat uh, stunt and all that. They, they've started to kind of take a, a page out of the Taco Bell playbook, I think, just in terms of their yep. overall approach to social and customers. We should get them on the show. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm cooking brisket all the time. I just need to set up the GoPro and uh, and make this happen. I can, you know. Jay, I will, I will, I will challenge you. Let's do a social pros brisket throwdown. Oh, I'm man, in. that's a good idea. At Memorial Day, I'm in. our Memorial Day cookout, I did brisket, I did uh, Juicy Lucy, well. and ribs. I, so, I just want to go on record that tonight, as, as, oh, since you're man. mentioning this, tonight I am, I am uh, making dinner for a friend of mine, and I am reverse searing a two-inch thick ribeye. Nice. Uh, so I'm, you, know, you put it in the oven for an hour and a half, and yes. one, make the inner, inner circle about 115, 120 degrees, then take it out, sear it, Broccoli oil, that thing is going to be. What they call that in the professional barbecue circuit wow. uh, is a sear in the rear. I love it. I love it. I don't, it's true story. I don't, I don't even know her. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we're going to. We're gonna... <laughs> 
we're going to move this to a uh, an awkward close. Um, let's uh, speaking. Peter, Peter um, did you screw up another podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, of things that you would ask somebody you didn't know, uh, I'm going to uh, ask Peter the two big questions. Uh, all right, Peter, are you ready? This is this is your chance here. Uh, what one tip would you give people looking to become a social pro? The one tip I give someone to be a social pro, you you have to be transparent. Um, you can't get into this thinking that you can fool anyone because you simply cannot be transparent when you screw up own it and make sure that that you have an audience behind you who knows that you respect them and gives them gives you gives them the information the way they want it they'll back you when you screw up well said uh, second and final question for Peter Shankman of petershankman.com and Shank Minds and many other things. We'll link up all his uh, different projects on the show notes. Uh, Pete, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Any living person? That's a great question. Um, I wouldn't mind 15 minutes with Richard Branson. He has done an amazing way, uh, has an amazing way about himself of, of of starting new things. He subscribed to my theory, which is when I went out on my own back in 98, I decided that I'll just start on my own, and if it fails, I'll get a job. And I never had to get a job. Uh, you know, 18, 20 years later, I, I still don't. It's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. So I wouldn't mind talking to him for a while. He, uh, he impresses the hell out of me. And uh, I know we're only allowed to say one person, but I'll always throw it out there. Bill Clinton. I mean, come on. He's just, he's just Bill Clinton. He's the man. Talk about Sear in the rear. He is the man. Absolutely. <laughs> And there you go. And scene. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Mr. Shankman, uh, for being a part of Social Pros. You were fantastic, uh, as expected. Congratulations on all your success. Hope to run into you again. It was great to spend a little time with you in Phoenix recently, and yeah. hope we'll get a chance to, to do that uh, again at some point this summer in the fall. Uh, next week on the big Social Pros podcast, uh, our guest will be uh, Adam Singer from Google Analytics. So we're going to get uh, super geeky on Google Analytics and all things tracking and metrics. Uh, that'll be on next week's show, uh, followed by uh, I'm going to go on vacation, but we're going to have uh, shows. Uh, Nick and Jeff are going to uh, interview um, social media professionals from Clinique. Also, uh, Josh Burnoff from Forrester, who also co-wrote uh, a book called Groundswell, which started a lot of this. He's going to be on the show. He's got a fantastic new book all about mobile, uh, which we'll be talking about uh, on the podcast. So a bunch of great guests uh, queued up for the next few weeks. Thanks to everybody for listening to Social Pros. We really appreciate your support. We see all your reviews and your comments, and uh, it makes us want to keep doing this. So on behalf of Jeff and Nick, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He has been and still is Peter Shankman. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and Target, a Salesforce.com company.